And for today's part um, of our love series, we could imagine that there are two sides of a particular fence. And that love uh, resides on one side of the fence and not the other, okay? So just to get us thinking about that. So the verse this morning is from 1 Corinthians 13, verse 6. And of course, we're looking at uh, love being the highest goal. That's the series that we're looking at at this time of the year. So it's very important to love God and to love one another. But this is the verse that we're looking at this morning, okay? 1 Corinthians 13, 6 says this, Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. So love belongs to the side of the fence that is happy and full and satisfied with the truth. But love doesn't belong to the side of the, def- of the fence that delights in evil. So we're just going to take those who, like little slants this morning. So love doesn't belong to the side of the fence that delights in injustice and wrongdoing and unrighteousness. Okay, so two very simple kind of aspects to this morning's talk. And I'm going to just try and unpack it. So it's a simple one to remember, but these are like critical things um, in our Christian lives to, to walk in, all right? So these different sides of the fence. So for a change, we're going to look at the passage of this morning from uh, the message version. So I'm just going to read that chapter in uh, Corinthians there, which we've been looking at the last few weeks. So no matter what I say and what I believe and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have, and love doesn't strut. It doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle and doesn't keep a score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. So there's a great slant on the the verses here for the message, and it it helps us kind of, you know, get, get to grips with things from another angle. And I like how today's verses are put in this little passage. It says this, it doesn't revel when others grovel. It takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. So to unpack like this week's thoughts and what love is, we're going to use another chocolate as a way of breaking down the points of, of remembering. Now, I don't know whether you remember I spoke about kindness last time we used the Kinder Egg. I, I'm sure you can all remember what the K and the I and the N and the D stood for when we're considering... I'm not going to test you, so right, okay. But, um, but I did test best in the week, and she remembered. Fair play to her. Right, so what chocolate am I going to use this morning? First hand up wins it. Revels, Jez. Well done, Jez. I'm sure I told you in the week. Right, Here we go. We have a little bag of Revels, okay? Now then. When you see Revels, remember that. Another interesting point. You know this coronavirus and panic buying and everything? All right? If you can try and get your hands on um, antibacterial hand gel, not the soap, like, but the hand gel, you cannot get it. It is impossible. Apparently in Australia, they are running out of toilet rolls. There's like, people are panicked buying toilet rolls. I was in Home Bargains yesterday, and this elderly woman was coming out of Home Bargains with a trolley full of just toilet rolls. She had a lifetime supply of toilet rolls. She will live till she's 168 if she uses all those toilet rolls. Right, but when I went to buy Revels this morning, they were also out of stock. Can you believe it? Shop next door, Asda, but the garage next door had a little pack, so saved my bacon. So, Revels. Anyway, so the Revel. 
Not only is it a way of enjoying oneself in a lively and noisy way, reveling, but also a delicious chocolate bag of multiple treats and surprises. Consuming a pack of revels is a journey of mystery, excitement, and trepidation, especially if you don't like the chocolate-flavored ones. Okay, so far, all right? If you take anything away with you this morning, remember chocolate revels. Right, why is that? Okay. So there's going to be two points to the talk this morning. The first point is this. One way of cultivating a life of love is choosing to resist evil. Okay? Now, I don't really like using those words, but it is the start of Revels, R-E, okay? But what we're really talking about is not to delight in evil, all right? So with me so far? Got it? Can you remember? Please turn to the person next to you and say, I can remember Adam's talk from Sunday. Please do. (laughs) Okay, great. I don't have to really. All right. So... Love does not delight in evil. So we've heard already in this series that the Corinthian church, which this letter was wrote to, had really lost their way. There was pride and divisions in the church, and they'd lost their moral compass. And in chapter 5, we read that there was um, a serious sexual issue in the church, and not only was it being let to go on, people are actually boasting about it as well, and you can read this for yourselves, I don't know off on a tangent, but Paul's letter to the Corinthians is a strong, straightforward, no-nonsense way of correcting and encouraging the church as well. So Corinth was a center of trade with a thriving seaport, it was a major cosmopolitan city, it was filled with various influences, immorality and idolatry, all these different things going on, and what had happened, this had kind of infiltrated into the church. And they had compromised, and there was immorality rife in the church, and it was becoming no different to its society around them. So it's kind of the church is like losing its saltiness, or its light and its um, gracious message of the love of Jesus was like, you know, it wasn't there anymore. It was kind of like missing, you know. So, so Paul's letter is one of challenge, one of encouragement, and that's why he goes in to explain, well, what love is, what is life all about? Well, it's loving God with all our hearts, and it's loving one another. So really, it's a back-to-basics um, letter to the Corinthian church. So Paul was instructing them and opening their eyes from their straying from God and redirecting them to the godly path, the path of love and the path of Jesus. So rather than reveling in evil, Paul was encouraging them to resist evil, to not to, you know, to have injustice in the church and in society, not to follow and boast in wrongdoing and to really look at unrighteousness in their life and, and challenge themselves, you know, and to see in the grace and the love and the kindness of Jesus. So the challenge to us in this first part of the verse is to be careful not to get caught up in ungodly behavior and find we are actually taking delight in it. And this, there's a difference between delighting in wrongdoing and actually working towards overcoming unrighteousness in our lives. Because we know all of us who are human beings with our fallen human nature and the challenge of that is... is you know, we can get drawn into things or we can behave in a certain way or, have, or, or grow a particular attitude in our lives. And, you know, it, it doesn't really go with the kingdom of God and the grace of God. And therefore, as people, it's like we can be grown up enough and mature enough to, to, to look at that and consider and see how the decisions we make in our lives and the lifestyles that we choose to do and the way in which we speak and create um, attitudes in our lives, that we can bring it before God and bring it into the light of his love and his grace. Because we know God's grace is sufficient to forgive us our sins 
And I believe God is patient with us too. When we hear about the whole concept of sanctification in the Bible, Bible, um, we consider, you know, we're being made more and more like Jesus in our lives. And that's why we take any, like, wrongdoing or, you know, unrighteousness in lives, and we take it, like, seriously, and we do want to honor God with our lives. But, of course, we know the grace and the love of the forgiveness of God in that journey as well. So we're careful also not to judge others, but to help when we stumble and fall. Because like the opposite of like living like a really liberal life is we can go to the other end of the scale and be very judgmental and religious about things as well. So we've got to strike you know, the right balance about what God helps us in in our lives. So one of the things I find interesting, I watch these YouTube clips from time to time, and I can be like a little bit childish in some of the things I watch. And one of the things is this, is have you ever heard of like instant karma, okay? So there's these clips in YouTube called instant karma. Of course, karma comes from Hindu and Buddhism, and it's all about this kind of, the sum of a person's actions in this previous state of existence is viewed as deciding their fate in future existences. Like, I'm not talking about (laughs) Hinduism and and, um, baptisms. (laughs) Hinduism and Buddhism this morning, but this, this, like, karma thing. So this clip that you see here is um, a dad trying to trick his daughter. She's got a bottle of water, and you pretend you're doing, like, a magic trick, and you put a coin at the bottom of the bottle, and the top of the water's open, and what you do is when you get the kid to look in the bottle of water to see if the coin's gone, you squeeze the bottle of water into their face, and that is like a joke. Well, this instant karma thing shows loads of clips of people trying to prank and fool others and bring, you know, embarrassment to others, but it backfires and they get themselves. So that's what happens to that dad there. He squeezes the bottle and manages to squirt himself instead, okay? But there's this kind of attitude. This is fun and a fun slant on it. But in life, sometimes we can develop that kind of attitude in our lives. It's like we want instant justice for people and we want things like sorted out quickly. But as a Christian and as a mature person, it's very important to rely on the grace and the gift and the love of God in our lives and to allow, you know, justice to take place. You know, we, we have a justice system in terms of legality and the society that we belong to. But ultimately, we, we trust God in, in final justice and judgment and all this kind of stuff. Okay, so, so that's very important for us as a Christian then, is to apply teaching into situations and into our lives, to apply grace as well, to have a heart of restoration and a heart of love. So that is a little bit why when Jesus was talking about, like, if we want to help a brother or a sister who's fallen or is in a place of difficulty or sin or what have you, that Jesus says, you know, first of all, make sure there isn't, like, a plank in your own eye when you're trying to help someone with a bit of dust in theirs, okay? So there's always, like, a self-focus before we go, you know, shooting our guns and, and, you know, expressing something to others is to make sure that in our own lives that there isn't, like, a plank in our own So it's me first. Where am I at in God? How is my relationship with God? How is my spiritual life? How is my journey? How is my prayer life looking? How is my study life looking? Am I being challenged each day? Or am I just like in this rut now and I'm I'm more judgmental and critical about others than I am looking at my own life? So these are some interesting facts to think about. And of course, we go on to thinking of the time where um, the religious leaders were trying to trying to um, trick Jesus or trip him up, okay? And of course, we, we read the story about um, a woman who's caught in adultery and she's brought before Jesus already teaching to a large crowd and um, 
you know, they wanted to trip Jesus up and catch him out. And they asked, well, it says, you know, in the law that a woman caught in adultery should be stoned. And of course, you know, this is something where they were expecting an answer for, from Jesus. And we hear how Jesus, like, speaks to these guys. It speaks to these people. They'd formed in their lives, like, a real legalism, a real attitude of judgment. And of course, Jesus wanted to bring in this message of grace and love and kindness. And we read about how Jesus says, well, if those of you who has no sin or have more sin in your life, please feel free to throw the first stone. So, of course, there's that moment of realization because there is quiet and then there is a sudden withdrawing of the religious people that they understand, oh, actually, do you know what? We've all got sin, something going on in our lives which we struggle with, etc. And we read that the older men leave first for those who are longer in the tooth, who live life longer, who realizes the pressures and the challenges of life, that, oh yes, you know, we have tripped up and we can understand that they start walking off first. Then the younger men who are full of energy and full of, you know, they live in the law and they've got this critical attitude and don't understand grace and love and, and this kind of stuff. And they are the last ones to leave because the penny finally drops with them as well. So Jesus really brings such a loving, kind restoration to this woman's life. And it says this in, in John 8, how, we, how this kind of story um, finishes off. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. So there's love from Jesus. I do not condemn you. And then go and sin no more. So can you see that there's grace applied here and love applied here. But again, like the words of encouragement and the words of instruction to go and sin, you know, no more. So there's a challenge to lifestyle in that. So the decisions that she's made, the life she was living, you know, Jesus still wanted to challenge that aspect of her life because at the end of the day, it was wrong. So, but, you know, you could see uh, God's love and grace towards her and the opportunity to move on. So these are important aspects, that there's the presence of sin, but not condemned by Jesus, but a correction to her lifestyle choice. And for us too, is to apply this um, gracious attitude as well. So I remember a situation where somebody had brought um, my kind of leadership into question, and my spirituality as a person, going back a little bit. And sometimes like when you lead in a church, we have sometimes challenges to to face or to address or to consider, and we do that in a way as a, as a leadership team. We're always like, you know, trying to work things out relationally and, grace, and through grace in our lives and when we're dealing with certain issues. And um, so this kind of challenge came along, and um, it was like, you know, sometimes when you get criticized, you, you, you feel a little bit hurt, and you? you get a little bit vulnerable, a little bit like, oh, well, that's not very fair, is it? <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, so take things on the chin sometimes, and, but, you know, we are normal human beings, aren't we? Each of us, we, you know, we're, we're normal human beings living a life before God, um, needing his help and his love in, in our journey and in our life. Well, anyway, I managed to rein in this upset to, um, to deal with things through a gracious heart and make a connection with this person in a real way. But it didn't happen anyway. There wasn't a reply in this kind of stuff. So, all right, you kind of give that over to God then because some things are out of our hands, aren't they? But then it took another turn then, and this person decided to spread the criticism to other people without even chatting to me about it. So I'm just trying to get at you. It's like the, the reality in life is like the Bible in Matthew 18 says, if there's a problem with a person 
or there's an issue that surfaced or cropped up, go to that person one-to-one to chat about it. Because 95% of the time, the wrong end of the stick would have been grabbed. So if ever there's an issue with someone, or you feel hurt by something, or maybe you've heard something and you've misheard it, or you've got the wrong end of the stick somewhere, please do see that person on a one-to-one basis, have that conversation. 95% of the time, it will be sorted, um, forgiven about, the truth is out there, and we can get it sorted out. But when it comes to like criticism, got the wrong end of the stick, and you start spreading that, um, it, it's like a lie. If you've got the wrong end of the stick, and you believe this about something, and then you start saying about it, it is lie, and it's deceiving, okay? So we've got to be very careful here. So we're still on the side of the fence of not delighting in evil, okay? We're still there. So just, just like relation, for relational purity is very important, and that's why I love Cornerstone Church, because we're very keen on keeping our um, relational purity as best as we can to protect it, to look after it, to care for one another. And if I can think of the many horrible things that go on in the world, one of the worst things that I absolutely hate is criticism and gossip in the church and in the community that wrecks relationships and that wrecks the church of God. So, you know, for us, we can be custodians and holders of God's grace and uh, we can look out for the things which cause um, divisions, remarks which are made, which can criticize one another, which usually are totally way off anyway. Okay, excuse me, I'm going to drink some water. <clears throat> Great, okay. So moving on. So even though some of these comments like that are unfair, but we know that God knows the score. He knows the backstory, the truth and the root of it all. So as a church together, you know, like as a team, we can sort stuff out relationally and uh, full of grace as well. So I just want to, like, say, sorry to harp on about, like, the church kind of side of things. Just be, you know, as, a, as a, like, a church leadership and in our small groups and, and in our um, kind of community together, is to really back one another up and look after one another as well and to really protect one another because there's so many times where... You know, it can be like a slippery, you know, banana skin for us, you know, if, if we're starting to get into the feel of, of the criticism and gossip. And um, I come from a world where, kind of, have you heard it before? Like in engineering, for example, 20 years working there, different departments having to go at one another, um, and subordinates attacking and criticizing their managers, usually behind their backs and creating a bad atmosphere in the workplace rather than speaking about things on a one to one basis. It's like not like the other side of the fence, but now working for the church and stuff is like you see the huge difference when you're in church. It's mainly brilliant and relationally speaking positive for one another, loving one another, and it is a lovely place to, to live life in. But I know we do live in a world that is fallen and broken. So if we can take these principles of God with us in our church lives and in our communities around us, that is a big place to, to live and to enjoy and to take that God's grace out there with us. Okay, I'm going to move on. So, we can trust God in our times of pressure and disappointment, but we need to dip into, we, we, but we don't need to dip into wrongdoing ourselves. So, if we do get hurt in life or there is a problem, we can be the bigger person by going to try and solve things relationally ourselves, and that keeps our conscience uh, clear in that. In Isaiah 1, 17, it says this, learn to do good. Very simple words there. But to learn is to gain or acquire knowledge of 
a skill or something by study, experience, or being taught. So these words are that we can learn to do good. So that means, you know, there is a process and a journey of learning in life. For anyone who studies a particular subject or doing like a college course or an evening class or whatever, a job-related um, function or something like in a caring profession where we're learning along the way, it is a journey, isn't it? We're never like, we, we don't always get to the end of that journey, but along the way we're learning. So Isaiah's words is to learn to do good. So let's not be afraid to realize then that we make mistakes. And sometimes our knowledge, there's some knowledge missing in our lives. If this whole room was filled with all there is to know about the earth and the universe around us and the creation of God, and we feel we know some of that, Maybe this whole space here, we know a little pinprick of information and of knowledge. So it's like, let's realize in our, you know, in the bits that we're missing in life is to trust God and commit our lives to a lifelong of, of learning, of being gracious and this kind of stuff. So let's challenge our perspectives in life, our attitude towards sin, how we can move forward if we're stuck. We can chat about stuff, pray about stuff, say sorry, change our minds over an issue. We can learn to do good and have courage to keep learning and developing. Okay, great. So what I'm going to do now is go on to the second point on the second side of the fence. And another way of cultivating a life of love is to rejoice with the truth. Love rejoices with the truth. Okay? Um, so enjoy love is that little E-L there, okay? So enjoy love. What I'm saying by that is enjoy truth, okay? Because you don't spell revels with a T in it. Okay, so. So the recently converted Christians in Corinth sometimes had a hard time of shaking the old habits. And we've, you know, we learn about this stuff in chapter five with the, with the sexual sin going on as well. But also the Lord's Supper, I know we've spoken about this in previous week, that was being dishonest to the point of including gluttony and drunkenness. But to combat these things, Paul was teaching about love and love does not, enjoy or delight in such actions, but rather, true love finds joy in truth and righteousness. So if you could take a moment for now, and if we can cultivate in our lives, rejoicing and being happy and satisfied in the truth of God in our lives, that is a great thing to put our minds to and to put our attention to. So true love rejoices with what is right and good. And anything that covers up sin or seeks to justify wrongdoing is like the opposite of godly love. So love like, does not sweep sin under the carpet. Love does not try to find ways to get away with bad behavior. And it does not put up with injustice. Instead, it treasures truth and celebrates good behavior and promotes virtue. True love has nothing to hide. And this psalm, Psalm 1, explains a great attitude towards truth. It says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. So if we can just consider that for a moment, is what, do we, what can we delight our lives in? What are the things we can delight in? Well, delighting in God, in his kingdom, in the truth of God, in Jesus being God's son, you know, the, the Holy Spirit, God the Son, God the Father, the truth of where creation, you know, stem from, God's love, our, our, you know, own personal walks, people created in the image of God. You know, to find out the truth about life is, is so important. It is such a great thing to hold on to and to love. 
God says in Psalm 3, it says this, you are not a God who delights in wickedness. The God who is love delights in what is true and just, and God loves us, and he desires truth in the inner part. So because God is love, and God is truth, and he delights in goodness, it's like kind of, it's like the family heirloom, or it's part of our DNA then, is to, to pick up on that and to have that genetic code, that we also love truth. We love, you know, what God has done and is doing in our lives, and it's important to hold on to that. So, God does not ignore our sin just because he loves us. In fact, it is because of his great love that he provided the means of dealing with and cleansing us of our sins in Christ. And in 1 John 4, 10, it says, says a little bit about this. So, sin basically is rebellion against God, takes a variety of shapes in our decisions and lifestyles. Um, so, I mentioned uh, previously in talks about how finding the truth and um, how Jesus changed my personal life when I was 17 and the, the difference that it made. And I really found like the truth of God changed my life. And ever since then, I've really, like rejoicing isn't a word I'd use because, you know, it sounds a bit old school. But to find satisfaction and happiness and relief is like, I, I count that as rejoicing in the truth of God. And, and, it, and it stays with us. So, you know, we can consider that. And it's so important, it was very important for me, it was really a hard-hitting time at the age of 17 to get to that position. Now, going back um, a couple of weeks ago, I had a call on a Saturday afternoon, okay? The phone rang, and there was a call from my mother, okay? Now, when I get a call on my mobile phone from my mother on a Saturday afternoon, it means one thing. Do you want to come down for dinner tomorrow? <laughs> All right, and that is the best for you. I'm so blessed to have great parents, Okay. But to get the mother phone call on a Saturday afternoon means the next day, like if you've had a hard Sunday morning, it's, you know, it's to go for food to my mother's. Now, so we go down by 1.30, and this is a couple of weeks ago, and we have dinner in Clanethley, okay? Not lunch, dinner. So it's very confusing. 6 o'clock to 10.30, bear with me, all right? 6 o'clock to 10.30 to me is breakfast. That's the breakfast slot. 10.30 to 12 is late breakfast or early dinner, not lunch. 12 till 2 is dinner time, not lunch time. 2 till 4.30 is mid-afternoon snack time. 4.30 to 7.30 is tea time. All right? Anything after 7.30, your life is in a mess. No. <laughs> it equates to either supper or guilty evening unhealthy snacking pleasures, like crisps, toast, Anything that's lying around, cake, um, nuts, you know, the lot, all right? So, growing up, I've never heard of the word lunch, okay? It wasn't until I got posh and moved over to Swansea <laughs> that lunch came into the phrase, all right? So, anyway, so to be called on my mother's for dinner on a Sunday afternoon is really good, and it's lovely. It's a great family tradition. All of us here have family traditions, okay? And I'm sticking with this for, for the time being, so this family tradition looks like this. We have food around the table in the parlor, all right, not dining room. And this is only for Sunday roasts. Any other time for eating food at my parents' house is a tray in front of the telly, and it's wait the service of my father. <laughs> After the Sunday roast on a Sunday, we retire to the front room to watch TV, not the lounge. The lounge and the dining room didn't exist in Tlenetli. It was the front room or the parlor. Or you may even have a middle room if you've got a bigger house. 
okay? So you go, and we go to, the, to the, the front room, and we put the telly on, and we either watch sport or a rerun of Only Fools and Horses, all right? So this is a little glimpse into my life on a Sunday from time to time. As this is going on, there's a delegated team in the kitchen cleaning up, all right? My parents and Sean. <laughs> Doesn't always happen 90% of the time. Um, and then I hope, as I go and watch and tell you, I'm hoping that they're going to be quick cleaning up so someone can make me a cup of tea. <laughs> Sorry, that's, this isn't typical. It's just one-offs, all right? Okay, great. So then, so the cup of tea then, and is my mother's specialty because she cooks in a week. She's a proper, like, Welsh mother. And she has cooked in a week, right? And it could be any three of these, all right? Scones, fairy cakes, not cupcakes. Do not have cupcakes, fairy cakes. Lemon meringue, meringue. <laughs> Rice pudding, cheesecake, chocolate cake. So any of that variety, there would be three options every like, time you go down. All right? So after that, and you've been edified, and you've had your cup of tea, and you've had cake, and all this kind of stuff, the next thing, the tradition for me, is to pull out the edification of the soul, all right? And that is the Llanelli Star. It's the newspaper that comes out in Llanelli every Thursday. So with that, it's got like 54 pages. I read the front page. I read the sport in the back. And then I flick through the 54 pages of adverts until, <laughs> until I get to the obituary page. And then I look through the obituary page to see if I recognize anyone from Llanelli that might have passed away. All right, this is a tradition that I do. I don't know why, it just happens. But on this occasion, the reason I get into this is the last time I read the Fletty Star, a gentleman I used to work with in the tool room had passed away, and he's now in his 80s. But what was interesting, and why it takes me out, why it's important to me, is, is he was a Mormon, okay? And when I became um, a Christian, I was 17, I was working in the tool room. He was working, he's a Mormon, and I was working on this bench, and then I had another mate I got very friendly with. He was a Jehovah's Witness. And I got bombarded as a young man, taking interest in spirituality, I'd become a Christian, having it both angles, which was very interesting, because I didn't really understand a lot about the Bible, still don't, but um, I, what I had was this life experience of rejoicing in the truth, that Jesus had done something amazing in my life. And I clung on to that, even though I didn't understand the doctrines fully or understand where they were coming from. And I started to learn, you know, a little bit about, about where they were coming from as well. But this rejoicing in the truth of knowing the difference God has made in my life, of giving me now new confidence and a hope for the future. And we were created human beings to have a relationship with God. And all this infilling of, of meaning and purpose in my life, like changed me and set me off on a, on a life of serving God and knowing God with the lumps and the bumps all along the way. So where I didn't have the answers, the theology and the, under, and the understanding to explain, I'd had this amazing life experience which had made such a huge difference in my life. And therefore, since then, I have always wanted to protect the truth of God, to revel in the truth of God, to enjoy it, knowing God's grace you know, what is our before and after experience of meeting with Jesus? We're doing baptisms in a few weeks' time. A great opportunity to pursue, you know, Jesus on the next step of our journey of coming to faith and getting baptized and this kind of stuff. And if you haven't already, Chloe mentioned, we're going to do a little talk on the fifth after the meeting. Jesus says this in John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. What an amazing truth to come to Jesus, to know him, and we can know our Father through him. So, even though life can get um, complicated sometimes, and sometimes through our own actions and decisions, and sometimes through other people's actions and decisions, we can choose how we live our lives. Our attitude and our approach is one of the things that we can take hold of. So when we've got, you know, the whole thing about delighting in evil and rejoicing in the truth, we're people who take that route, that side of the fence, that we can rejoice in the truth and the grace of God. And I'm just I'm closing now, just coming to the last uh, little point here. So this year, like last year, I dedicated my life to growing by reading a book every month, okay? It was taxing and demanding, and it was a discipline, you know, the, these books which would kind of expand my thinking and, and this kind of stuff. So this year, I'm taking it easy on myself, and I'm doing like, just like a daily devotional book instead, okay? But what was interesting, it's one by Bear Grylls called Soul Farewell, all right? There's a little snippet and a personal dedication each one. And the reason I wanted to do that is because I got respect for, for Bear Grylls, because I think I've read a couple of his books and understand a bit about his background and, and his life and that kind of stuff. And it really comes out on the pages of his book as well. And he doesn't, you know, mince about with things. He, he says about his weaknesses or difficulties and challenges. But he's a man who, you know, has faith in, in Jesus. And, you know, he faces life with, with Jesus. And, and this is such an important thing. So I thought it'd be good to do that. And the reason I want to mention about that is because one of these little uh, devotionals this week was talking about you know, how to live, and he, re- he writes about this, like centuries ago, when the people of God were in exile and in despair, they cried out, how then can we live? And this is from Ezekiel 33. And he says about how, this is a good question, and one that still needs asking. What does it mean to live a life that pleases God and keeps us close to Christ? How should our choices be different? So when we're considering this whole thing about what love is, loving God and loving one another, what are those choices and decisions that we make to grow in that? And there's a great place to search for answers. In Psalm 128, it says this. There's some little snippets taken out of the message version. All you who fear God, how blessed you are. Enjoy the blessing. Revel in the goodness. Stand in awe of God's yes. Oh, how he blesses the one who fears God. Enjoy the good life. So if we can take anything away this morning from this talk, we can remember anything. Let's remember the chocolate revels. Let's resist evil as best as we can. Let's enjoy a life of truth. Let's revel in that, knowing God's goodness, his kindness, his forgiveness, his blessing, that we can move forward in that. So I think that's a good way to end. Why don't we close our eyes and I pray and hand back to Chloe. Yes, so we thank you for um, this morning, Lord, for this opportunity to stop in your presence and to consider, you know, our life decisions and the things which go on before us and the things which go on in our lives, sometimes of our own making and sometimes not. And we ask you, Lord, to continue to grow in our spiritual character, in our spiritual maturity in our lives, that we would be ones who know the grace of God in such a real way in our lives. Help us, Lord, to know your truth, the truth of your grace, the truth of your uh, forgiveness through Jesus, the truth of you calling us your children, the truth of knowing that there is an inheritance for us, the truth that we belong to a kingdom 
which is, which is now and for the future as well, that we belong, that we are citizens of heaven, that we are the, you know, these are truth statements, Lord, that we're part of that. So I pray that you'd help us this morning, Lord, to continue to know you in such a great way, to know your love and kindness in our lives. Amen.